Hey folks, there's an old saying in professional sports at least that um, a series isn't a series until the home team loses a game. And after game one, here we are. Welcome to the Run Sports Podcast. I'm Patrick McLaughlin. I'm joined by Randy Holcomb. Uh, this is our second rendition here. And I'm just going to start right off by Rand. Are the Warriors hitting the panic button after the game one loss? Man, listen. I am. I don't know if they are, but I certainly am. Um, you know, uh, everything in you believe that Golden State, well, at least for me, I'm not going to say everybody because since the game has happened, uh, we have more Boston Celtic believers all of a sudden that said that they thought that, you know, Boston would pull it out. But, oh, yeah. Um, but no, I think that they're definitely hitting the panic button. Um, I was anxious to get back on here with you to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I would say that I do expect game two. Um, you know, this is a championship caliber team. I expected them to win the series. I think they'll come out and play strong. But there were a few things in the game that left me, if I was a Warriors fan, player, coach, or GM, that I'd be pretty troubled with uh, the outcome. Um, I would say that one of my biggest takeaways was the play of Jordan Poole. Um, a lot of stuff was talking about, you know, his emergence. And I mean, you and I even talked about it, that he's more than capable to score 20 points, just like three other players in the Warriors. When they're all playing on that level, they're really hard to beat. And we also talked about, you know, a rookie head coach on the other sideline or the other side of the court, I should say. For the Celtics, and this is the first time a lot of these guys, all the guys in Boston have been in the finals game, but Jordan Poole looked young out there. I mean, even during the telecast, um, I think it was Mark Jones was on the call because Breen has COVID, um, said something like right after his first shot or first make, he talked about Jordan Poole for an extended period of time about, oh, his emergence and what this means. And the kid plays with a lot of confidence. And he's got a quick trigger finger. And I just think that there were numerous possessions where he looked really bad, almost to the point that he looked unplayable on both sides of the court. Um, I actually wrote a few possessions uh, down to talk about specifically, but um, your thoughts there. Well, I think a couple things happened with Jordan. I'm a big Jordan Poole fan. Um, I can't say that I'm not. Um, he averaged, I believe, 18 and a half points this year off the top of my head. Um, um, but I think a couple things have changed with that group. Clay's back. He came back, you know, midseason or thereabout. And then the other key component in this particular game, uh, the first game, was that um, it seemed as though there was an urgency to get Steph going, which I thought was a mistake. I thought trying to get, and, and to his credit, he took, you know, wide open shots, right? right. Those, a lot of those looks were wide open. I don't think that there was an urgency though to, uh, and, and maybe this is a credit to, uh, to the Boston Celtics coaching staff where they felt as though um, they were not going to, to allow layups. Um, this is something that Jalen, um, Jalen talked about beforehand, uh, Jalen Brown, that is, talked about beforehand in, in his pressure. So um, as far as Jordan is concerned, man, I just feel like they didn't get him going early. He's, a, he's young, so he needs to see the ball go into the basket early. And if Steph gets off early, that means that everybody else is waiting around for the basketball. Right. Uh, I think Steph is good enough to be able to get himself going later in the game. He doesn't have to get going so early. But if he's going to shoot naked shots and go six for seven, man, I, I, you know what I mean? I don't know how yeah. you can fight that. You know, right. you can't fight that with a stick. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was taking those shots and they weren't going in, but right. you know, he was, he was about as hot as you could get. And I, right. I know we talked about this um, 
think yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Saturday morning, but after the game, we talked a little bit about, you know, Steph doesn't have a finals MVP and they were going to him early and often um, in this game one. And I don't know if that was, you know, a conscious decision by the team or by him, or they just happened to, in the flow of their offense, he was getting open looks. But yeah, I don't know if it was, you know, um, Poole plays with a lot of confidence. And uh, as a young player, he needs to, you know, get those opportunities early um, instead of late in game. But my big takeaway was really that, and we've talked about this before too, about how during the season and at different points in the playoffs, there seems to be a little bit of a, how would I put this? Um, a battle going on the court with teammates between him and Clay. There were a few right. possessions where I wrote it down and took note of it that Clay wanted the ball and Jordan said no, basically. And right. without, without, right. without verbalizing it. And right. Right. there was the one, God, what was it? It was um, the end of the first half. They had the last possession. Clay's got his hands up. He's looking for the ball. Poole looks him off, step back three, hits the top of the backboard, the half ends. And Clay, if you watch the replay, Clay looks pretty disgusted with the decision to not pass him the ball with time still on the clock. And then after the ball hits the top of the backboard, he's looking back to the Warriors bench and he kind of throws his hands up a little bit. Like, how can we how can we communicate to this kid <laughs> that not only have I won multiple rings in this role, I'm also making forty four million dollars, and right. like this isn't your opportunity to, you know, assess your value in terms of what you're going to get in the free agent market. Like, like we're trying to win this basketball game. Right. Well, I mean, I think everything was was kind of going great, you know, for 40 minutes of the game or, you know, thereabout, right? Everything was looking good, even though those guys weren't necessarily getting off. But if you if you assess the game in its totality, uh, Steph goes for 21 points in those, or thereabout in the first quarter. Um, and in the second quarter, he doesn't score at all, which is a problem, right? right. Um, you know, I think that there's a uh, – there is something about being able to, um, especially when you're a star player, there's something about picking your spots, man. You got to know how to pick your spots, especially when you're a dominant score. When you're a dominant score, you, you have to have the confidence and the ability to be able to get other people going and then get yourself going. And this is one of the, this is one of the reasons too, that I've always been on the other side of the fence about Steph being a uh, a point guard I you know I think that every every category that he affects is at the shooting guard position now you know other basketball pundits I've argued with them you know for hours you've heard you know on yep. clubhouse with uh uh with my man Dion and um Ian Powers and and, and others right um that they feel as though he's a combo or they feel as though he is a point guard um even with others that um you know, other fans, right? They believe that he's a point guard, that the point guard position has changed. And I just don't believe that. I believe that the, the job description is still the same job description. And in that, this was a game that uh, I believe that Steph, um, again, if he was a true point guard, he'd have been able to get some other people going. I think that's part right. of what a point guard or a big part of what a point guard does. But the caveat is that some of those shots that he was shooting just so, so wide open. Right. You know what I mean? They were just so wide open that it's almost like, okay, we'll we'll let him get his, but we're not going to let everybody else get theirs. And if that's what Boston's thinking was, well, then they executed perfectly. Out. Yeah. Right? You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, uh, and then the fact that they in the fourth quarter, man, they just shot the ball. I don't I don't know that I've seen his team shoot the ball better in the finals than than what they shot in that um, no. in that frame. So uh, it's just impossible to stop a team. No different than it's impossible to stop Steph. You know what I mean? If he gets going, or Clay, if he gets going, right? Or Jordan Poole, if he gets going. Uh, so uh, again, I don't want to. I want to give some credit to Boston more than anything else, uh, because again, I had I, and I have. I'm not going to back off of my take. I, I think that um, I had Golden State winning the series, uh, and I think it's kind of weak to come, you know, one game in and say, oh, I, I think that the other way. Um, I got to stay with my pick. 
Uh, but I also think that, uh, I mean, they got a tough, they got a tough road ahead. You know, they really have a tough road ahead, especially with what you said being true. They lost, they lost the game at home and the first game at home. Certainly don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with you there. I, uh, I kind of feel like doubling down on my take is compounding on a clear mistake at this point. I, uh, <coughs> if you remember, I picked the Warriors in five. And did, unless they're going to win, unless they're going to win four straight, which seems highly <laughs> unlikely at this point. Um, yeah. It, and I don't want to pile on, uh, you know, what, how the Warriors lost the game too much. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later when we probably talk about some adjustments, but yeah, right. I mean, uh, in terms of the game itself, I remember I text you like, it was like early in the second quarter and I wrote it down. They had, the two teams had combined for 35 three-pointers within the first 15 or 16 minutes of play. Right. And I felt like if you knew that going in and it was going to be essentially a three-point contest, that's, that works in the Warriors' favor. As much right. as Boston can still shoot them and they have guys capable, more than capable of hitting them, that feels more right. like the philosophy of gameplay that the Warriors would be winning and right. it kind of bit them in the end. Um, right. A total of 86 were shot, and the Warriors actually shot more threes than twos in the game. But, yeah, hats off to, you know, if you want to call them the role players, the Celtics, as good as Jalen Brown was. Um, Tatum struggled, but Horford was outstanding. Uh, right. Der Derek White, ever since, you know, congrats to him on his first child, um, ever since he had that baby. I mean, he's been playing lights out. Um, right. And then Peyton Pritchard. You know, in terms of the guard off the bench, both him and White outplayed Jordan Poole by light years. I mean, right. Right. they were huge. And I just think that we've talked about this before, before we were recording the, the podcast about different outcomes of these series where something happens in game one or two and we say... Sorry if you can pick up on that. My daughter's running around. Um, um, that if, if, you know, player X had one of the best games they've had all season, it's not going to happen again. And I don't know if that's a certainty. Like, I mean, Horford's in the finals. He's near the tail end of his career. He's playing phenomenal basketball. Both him and White, I think they scored something like, more, more they scored in game one more than they had scored in any regular season game and I think in only one of their playoff game throughout the three previous series that they score higher than this one and so it's you can take that with a grain of salt and say you know you can't count on them to do that but I mean game one on the road your first finals appearance they definitely showed up and I think that was really the difference was just the you know Steph's going to get his Tatum, Tatum's usually going to get his. He was distributing the ball well. Brown's going to get his. But if those other guys for the Celtics come to play, it's going to be really hard to beat. Agreed. Um, you know, again, I don't – I think that uh, – well, we're, we're basically looking at the, the best and the second-best defensive team in the league according to the numbers. Now, how that happens for both of those teams is completely different, right? Um, my belief is that um, – because Golden State shoots the ball so well that you're always taking the ball out of the basket. And if you're always taking the ball out of the basket, that means that, that you're, you know, you're walking the ball up the floor and you have to run a set play when you're playing against Golden State. Whereas uh, Boston can miss shots and then come down and lock you to F up, right? They can, they can right. take away your strengths or take away your best player uh, relatively quickly. So, uh, you know, with that being said, um, I don't think all is lost for, for Golden State. I still think that it's going to be a war because, um, uh, I, 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 in fact, I know that Boston will hit a low in terms of offensive output. Um, but I think the, the flip side of that, though, is that when you look at the um, when you when you look at the 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 makeup of the team and the timing of what's going on, some teams just get hot at the right time. Sure. And Boston is just really hot right now, man. Like they're just really Everything is clicking. And then the other thing, if I can be just so honest, um, you know, they have winners on their team and they have guys on that on that team that 
are um, inherently winners. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, when you're talking about um, Al Horford, two national championships, ton of success in Atlanta, although they didn't, you know, I think they had a playoff run. He was an all-star there. Um, for him to be in this situation and basically understand his role and play his role, uh, you know, I, I think that there's something to that. Marcus Smart uh, didn't sing. He didn't look too happy when he got pulled out in the fourth quarter. Um, but at the same time, when he got back into the game, uh, he makes two big threes, which, you know, just further pushed the game away. I think they went on like an 18-0 run before. Um, don't quote me on that, people that are listening, but I think it was like an 18-0 run before they actually, before Golden State actually scored another basket. So, um, again, man, I just think that there's so many, uh, there's so many takeaways in this game that, uh, that have, uh, you know, lent itself to the, the despair, that, that big gap in points in the fourth quarter. Um, like I said, I wouldn't be as worried about, uh, about it if I'm Golden State, but they got to know that if you think, if you thought that you were just going to get stuff off on, on your way to winning, um, on your way to winning a championship, then you are sadly mistaken in, in that regard. Absolutely sadly mistaken. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, you know, we talked about the expectations of game one going into the series. I, I thought based on just the way they closed out the Miami series, especially the end of that fourth quarter, I didn't expect them to come out and look like this offensively. Um, so hats off to them. I was really surprised. As you know, I like to, you know, dig into the numbers a little bit. Um, one thing that stood out to me um, in the what is it the in the 16 minutes that the Celtics only played with one of their bigs either Robert Williams or Al Horford which you know would consider by them being going small they were in 16 minutes they were a plus 31 in the box score and I think if you had said wow. before the game you know with this Warriors team historically when they go small they're always at the advantage Right. And if that's going to be the case going forward where they're not, and in fact, they need to find ways to have Looney and another quote unquote big on the court. I think that, I think that spells trouble for them because I kind of feel like the whole warriors going small death lineup, all those things has kind of always been their ace in the hole in these situations. Um, whenever they're actually in a competitive series, they can always go small and, they have that outcome, but, and then the other thing is um, when Steph and Jordan played, um, I have it right here. They played 16 minutes together on the floor on game one, and they were a negative 13 in those 16 minutes. And I think if you can't play those two together, that kind of leads me into more the second segment I wanted to do here was the adjustment. What, I mean, if, if those two can't play on the court together and you alluded to this earlier, I mean, does this team even have a point guard? Uh, that's a that's a big problem, right? I mean, they were they're so heavily dependent on Draymond Green that they believe that you know he's the facilitator for them. That he he was non-existent, you know, and and the he looks good when they look good, right? And if they're not making shots with the if the collective is not making shots around him then he just doesn't he's not the same basketball player i think he had four points in the game um so with that being said man i yeah i think that they need they need something right now and i think that that something is uh probably another bona fide score um and again, there's a couple of things that I want to get into if I, and I probably, let me get into those right now. And yeah, I want to shout, shout out a couple of people first. Um, myself and Ian Powers um, have talked, you know, a ton about uh, Ian Powers is a, is a uh, NBA scout. Phil the lane.com. He does, um, I mean, incredible knowledge about the game. You might get some, you might get some cuss words uh, while you talking to him, but he's definitely a, basketball mind and he had he and I agreed on a couple different things first um 
Al Horford's Nike selection was awful. Those were the first. He went and bought those joints from the uh, from the DXL um, right before the game. They were sitting right next to the, the Rockports. That was in the Rockport section. They had that little Nike sign. I don't even think those were Nikes. I think they were probably just Nikes. Um, but <laughs> as you get as you get older, what matters is comfort, right? The older oh, absolutely, get, absolutely. Yeah, we, we what we do care about is comfort when it comes to uh, our shoe selection. That's the first thing. The second thing is that KD is uh, uh, incredibly or was incredibly important to that group because when they got bogged down and things didn't work or it was the fourth quarter, they had a guy that they could throw the ball to on the elbow. He can hold out his hand and catch the basketball and shoot it in from anywhere on the floor, or his go-to move on the basketball court is the hang dribble three at 6'11", right? You know what I mean? So they had, with him, they had a guy that when the, you know, uh, the proverbial bleeding started, they had a guy who could who could close up the wound, right? With, you know, a shot, a timely shot, or getting to the line and getting fouled, which leads to my next point. Steph Curry's biggest issue was not the fact that he, um, that he can't um, uh, score the basketball. It's the fact that he can't close basketball games um, because he does not have uh, the stature to do right. it. It does. It's, it, this isn't a skill situation. This is a stature problem, right? Um, the ability not to be able, and that's one of the reasons I believe. And again, I don't want to speak for Ian, but um, Ian, I just agreed that he just doesn't have the you know, the physique to do that. You got, you know, at six foot two, three, whatever he is, trying to get the ball and trying to face up the score uh, without there being a play call is not his strength. What is his strength, though, is being able to come off screens and using screens, typical two guard related, shooting guard related stuff. If they switch it on all of those and they deny him the basketball uh, and force him to work to get it, especially late game when you're a little bit more tired and the defense can bog you down a little bit more, that's when he's lost, right? That's when he is not as effective. That's when it doesn't look as good. And that's one of the reasons that he does not have the finals MVP. So um, with that being said, this is clearly an indicator that, uh, first of all, Draymond made the wrong decision by calling uh, KD a, a B-I-T-C-H on the, on, the, uh, on the bench. That was, <laughs> that was a, the wrong decision. Uh, KD made the wrong decision, maybe by leaving, going to Brooklyn, if he intended on winning more championships. But that's his prerogative. Yes, it kind of goes by the beat of his own drum. And the Golden State fans on Clubhouse, uh, uh, Lisa Bev, and uh, who am I leaving now? I'm, I'm, I want to call Jason. And uh, man, let me call out D-Naz. some more of them. Oh, D, my man, D Naz. Um, leave. Um, man, I help me out help me out i gotta get i gotta get the names that's that's enough it. that's enough of them is that, is that yeah, enough? that's enough oh, that's enough goodness gracious it's a couple more that i know i'm leaving out man but um um yeah man those guys um the the, the fandom on clubhouse believe that they did not need um katie and this is a situation where they 100 do and honestly uh he needs them right, right. and although it's over now him being there pushes them in a light where they're a championship caliber team uh, that can, well, uh, winning, winning the championship, not a championship, because they are that right now. But that right now in this series is what's needed. And, uh, and when they played Brooklyn, it was the reverse. By, by right. not having other players out there on the floor, just made it impossible for him to get going. So um, my thoughts on that, you know, I just want to make sure that I, that I uh, first shouted out Ian and everything that we've talked about, but also, address some of those fans on clubhouse that we love so much yeah for sure well i would first thing i would say is a shout out to ian as well um you know great basketball mind that i really enjoy speaking with um but i will say that i am a firm believer in comfort over style as someone who has dealt with plantar fasciitis Man, I don't yeah. care. I don't care what the foot that the shoe looks like <laughs> as long as I feel good. And I'm not even playing anymore. Like I, you know, just walking oh, around. Man. I better feel I better feel good. So because hey, if you feel if you feel good, you look good. Well, if let I'm, me say if this. I'm out there walking hobbled, it don't matter what I have on my feet. Hey, hey, listen. Well, then you need to go pick up a pair of those uh 
we need to pick up a pair of those Nikes that my man had on, man. Those, I think that's a, that's a combination of Rockport and Nike. Uh, I think that's something new for those over 42, three. You know what I'm saying? I might even go pick up some on my there next you birthday. You know, go ahead, go off though, man. Yeah. Uh, shout out to my man, Cam. Go off though. Yeah, go off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with all the KD stuff. Um, there was a particular possession late in the fourth with like, I don't know, I should have wrote it down, but there was probably like two minutes left. It was like a two or four point game. Boston was making their big run. And the Warriors were passing the ball around, not in like a good offensive set with movement to draw somebody up. It was more like nobody knew what to do with the ball or who was going to take the shot. And as much as like, you know, you talk about you can just give it to KD and he can hang dribble and get a shot over basically every defender in the league, or he can make a move inside the arc to get a shot, draw a foul. It's pretty glaring that this team doesn't have that guy um, with that level of physicality or size, to your point, stature. And I don't know if you would say it's rearing its ugly head now in the finals because they've taken care of business so far for the first three rounds in this game. They just look like they need that person. But not to backtrack too much, but that's kind of what I think this team needed to do throughout the, especially the first three quarters was really just, I mean, what do they say? Put their foot on them when they're already down. Like right. I went through those Jordan pool possessions and uh, again, I'm not trying to dog on the guy, but he took a lot of bad shots. I mean, I'm not even talking about his defense right now, which, you know, isn't his strong suit anyways, but <laughs> there were just, there was just a numerous possessions where, I mean, the Warriors had something like a 15-point lead, and he was playing borderline reckless. Like, there was one possession. He tried to go one-on-four with Horford and Williams both in the box, and easy shot block. There was another possession where he tried to push the break um, on a two-versus-three, and, like, a full 24-second clock, he grabbed a long rebound, and there was, like, a minute or something left, I think, in the third quarter, minute 30, something like that. And it's like, to me, in that possession, like, I know he likes to play with pace, but this team, this Warriors team, isn't that level of pace that we saw from those championship teams. I think they were, like, 13th or, like, middle t- almost middle tier of the league in terms of pace play. And when they were winning those championships, they were, like, one, two, or three. And so, right. like, he's kind of in this mentality of, I got the ball, I'm going to get my shot. As you always say, lo- loves to feel the ball, doing a lot mm-hmm. of dribbling. And on that, on that play, it's like grab that rebound, dribble it up, use the full 24. Boston's gone on numerous runs at this point. You know, basketball is a game mm-hmm. of runs. And you just give him an easy two. Like he got pickpocketed by Tatum, and then it's Tatum versus Brown on a 2v1 inside the key. And then Jordan Poole, after he loses that ball, like at the top of the three-point line, he doesn't even make an effort to run to play defense after he's lost it. He just stands there. Steph looks at him in the same spot and Steph decides to run to try and make a play or at least grab a potential miss. And it's just little things like that where I don't know if, um, and that's something I wanted to get to was more about like the adjustments in game two. And I'm sure both coaches have looked at the tape probably two or three times at this point, they've made minor adjustments. I'm sure the Celtics are, you know, going to try and, not give Steph those types of early looks, um, at least those clean of looks. But do you think in a seven game series where I think they were the favorite, the Warriors, at least briefly, or like by a little bit, especially in game one, I think three points was what the spread was. Do you think it's too early to make radical adjustments? And I don't mean like, like, you know, defense and, you know, possessional, but more like to the roster, like who's getting those rotational minutes do you think it's too early to, you know, play a GP2 or a Moody or make a conscious effort to, I mean, if, if Jordan Poole's not contributing highly on the offensive end, he's a negative on the defense. And I just feel like uh, in the Western Conference semis, um, Jason Kidd usually pulled Spencer Dinwiddie as the first guard off the bench. And when he was in his shooting slump in the Utah series, and then it extended into the Phoenix one. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I haven't talked to Jason Kidd, so I don't know what his rationale here was, but if Dinwiddie is not contributing on the offensive end of the floor, we know that he's not a great, or at least a defender, defender on that capacity. So it's like he yeah. gave minutes to Frank Nilakina, who I don't think even played a minute in the first round because, I mean, if, if I was Kitty saying, well, if Dinwiddie is not giving us anything on offense, at least we know Frank can come in and defend. So right. that's kind of what I, I see the situation with this series already, where if pool's not on, like, I think you got to give some of those minutes to somebody else that can at least defend. And GP was supposed to be uh, healthy for game one. Um, he didn't play a single minute, even when the game was out of reach, they didn't go to him. Um, he's obviously made a radical comeback from that injury. Um, but I guess, what are your thoughts there? Like, uh, the Warriors only went eight deep. I think the Celtics played nine. Um, and some of those minutes off the bench, they only went to three bench guys for Golden State. And one of them was Iguodala, who's 38. And I, I think it was his first game in like a month. So gotcha. is it gotcha. time to – is it, it maybe try going big? There's other options on this roster. Obviously, two of the guys that got rotational minutes are 19. But what are your thoughts? Well, I think the first thing is that you gotta <clears throat> you gotta remember how you got here. And I think you need to stay with that thought process, right? How did you get here? And both of the teams have basically played to really who they are, right? Um uh, well for the most part. Defensive defensively for Boston, they were great. Um, they just had a they had the fourth quarter where they just shot the ball unbelievably well. Um and if you think about it from the Golden State Warrior perspective. You know, they were winning the game. They had the game. They were winning the game. It wasn't, they weren't beating, uh, beating Boston uh, into the ground with their play. They weren't doing that, but they were winning the basketball game, which is all that you really want to do. So I don't know that you make any changes this early. I wouldn't necessarily make any, any changes. I don't think that. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little early to make changes. I'm with you. It's only game one. Right. Um, but I just. If they're in, a, if they're down in a two-zero hole, going back to Boston, is there going to be a little bit of hindsight where maybe we should have made these adjustments a little bit early? Hindsight is always twenty-twenty. That's right. Fact. Hindsight is, you know, I mean, it's always twenty-twenty. So I mean, I don't know if you necessarily can. If you lose the game, you lost the game, right? You just got to go and and go into Boston and win. And Boston will drop a game or two at home. So right. I think that it's not it's not an impossibility at this point in time as to how they're thinking that whole thing can play out. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I do think that, you know, hindsight's of 2020 and if they're down 2-0, maybe they wish they had made adjustments earlier. Um, right. we'll, we'll see what they're going to do. Um, game two is hopefully this gets posted in the afternoon on Saturday and people get a chance to check it out game Sunday night. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you saw from Robert Williams. Um, for those that watched episode one, when we previewed the finals, uh, you and I both, um, without looking at each other's list beforehand, had Robert Williams as the X factor for the Celtics. Um, he's been dealing with his knee injury. Um, they made, made quite an effort, at least in his minutes, <clears throat> um, to go with two bigs, him and Horford on the floor together for a good portion of his time on the court. But what, what did you see from him in the first game? Well, man, I think he was just everything that you and I thought he would be. It, it wasn't like he scored a, a load of points, it, but it was the, I don't know how many block shots he had, five, six, somewhere in that range. Uh, and then his efficiency around the basket, he caught lobs, throwing back in. He was able to, um, they were actually able to play, uh, he and Al Horford, if I'm not mistaken, on the floor at the same time. Yeah, which was um, pretty unique. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, they they actually stayed with their thought process of playing two bigs at the same time. Um, um, so with him, man, it's just like he's just so efficient. He's got incredibly long arms. Uh, he he un again understands his role. Um, when he's healthy, he's he's been really really good for them. Um, just a really good player, you know, for, for, for his role. He's not a, you know, he's a, he's a great role player. I don't, I'm not going to say that he's a superstar because he's not, right. um, but uh, definitely uh, helped them in a real way uh, to uh, close runs and stuff like that and not allowing Golden State in the first three quarters to get too far away. Your thoughts? 
Yeah. Um, the one thing I did notice is I felt like uh, the the Warriors, when they were also playing the two bigs um, in Looney and Green, when they were when both the Celtics bigs were on the floor, I kind of felt the Warriors looked good. Um, Looney was grabbing a lot of offensive boards, and a lot of what he does doesn't always show up um, in the stat sheet. And when Boston decided to play just one of the bigs, is when I alluded to earlier, they actually they scored. I think it was like a plus 30 in 16 minutes or something like that. And so I don't know if that changes game one to game two, if Boston's more willing to go small, but they really have the luxury of at no point during the game will both those guys be off the court. I mean, obviously if somebody got hurt or in foul trouble, but um, having Horford as your main big or Robert Williams as your big, it's worked out for them and it worked. It looked really good in game one. I, I was surprised that Robert Williams looked so good out there. I mean, I was as much as the three day layoff or whatever. I actually thought the time off right. was going to be more helpful to the Warriors. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. Like, like, you know, but I don't know. That's one of those things too, that people are always like, is it better to, you know, in other sports, you know, to have the buy and then to sit there and wait or to ride right. that momentum from a game seven, even if your team's a little banged up, you just won a big closeout series. The Warriors hadn't played in like a week. Right, um, right, right. So right, that's right. kind of interesting to think about. But yeah, I don't know. Um, the other X factors, I think, were uh, Jordan Poole for you on the Warriors side. And I had Draymond Green, which I guess there's no, I don't think in the Webster's Dictionary, there is a definition for X factor. But with how poorly both them played and the Warriors lost, hey, that's that's a win for me. I feel like hey, we got that hey. <laughs> right, ain't no lie about that. We, yeah. you know, that was hit right on the head as far as them being X factors for them to actually lose the game, especially Draymond. But the uh, the other thing is the um, um, I wanted to ask you about the um, the the cap, right? In terms of because you're great when it comes to all this cap stuff and how to figure out, uh, you know, team needs based on money available, right? If Golden State loses this, and I know we're premature and it's only oh, one sure. game, um, but if Golden State loses, what do you think they need as a team? What 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 do you think their team need is? Um, man, that's a really good question. I I know we've uh, in Twitter Spaces and on Clubhouse and things I've read. Um, there's a lot of speculation about what they will do with the roster because they're paying a lot of guys a lot of money. Is the best way to say it. And if any right. franchise is more willing than the rest to pay the luxury tax, they are that franchise. They are, you know, they're the New York Yankees of the nineties and early two thousands. Right. They were just, they're willing to pay more than everybody else tax penalty, repeater tax. It's all good as long right. as they're winning. Right. But if they right. don't win, I don't know. Um, they know who Jordan Poole is probably better than anybody. Um, he's been in-house, but he's eventually going to have to get paid. I'm not in front of the numbers actually right now, but it's my understanding that he's on the books next year. Um, and then the following year, he'll be a restricted free agent. And based right. on his play and his age, there'll be no short list of suitors. Um, Wiggins, Wiggins is on the books for, I think, like 33 or 34 million for next year. And what's interesting about those contract situations is, in the Warriors situation, if they just let Wiggins walk for nothing, they don't just get $34 million that they can use on other players because that cap slot is already above what the maximum is. So, right. you, so right. like, I don't know. I'm, I think the cap's like 130 or something like that. But they're already over it because they already have Draymond, Steph, Clay, and other people on the roster. Mm-hmm. And so – that situation becomes tricky where Wiggins has played great. I mean, I think they, everyone around the league would say they won the D'Angelo Russell trade where they flipped him for Wiggins and right. a first round pick. Right, um, right, right. But you want to use your cap hold for something of value. So I actually think if there's anybody that they move this off season, Wiggins might be that guy. Um, if, if they, if they, again, if they let him walk, they can't just, if he walks, 
after next season, they don't get anything for him. There's no compensation picks like in football. The cap hold is already going to be gone, but they can move him for a equivalent salary. So, so by that, you, go ahead. So what do you think about Clay then? Do you think, so you're saying they would hold on to Clay. You think Clay finishes his career in Golden State? Well, I just think that Clay has more of a history and uh, with the franchise and the team, his cap number is also significantly larger. Um, he's looked great. Um, for those who don't know, I'm a Washington state alum. He's a Cougar and I root for him as much as I can. Um, but I think there's a little bit, a little bit of question marks about, you know, he's stayed healthy this far, but those were pretty big injuries. And those two years of not playing, I don't know what his trade value is around the league. Um, he's on the books for two more years. It's 40 something. Um, he's in, he's on the wrong side of 30. Um, he doesn't look like he's the same guy defensively right now while Wiggins, you know, he was just an all-star and I don't think his trade value could probably be any higher. Um, there's been speculation that at some point clay would like to play for the Lakers. Um, it's where his dad played and, um, he has a bunch of ties to that area. But I don't, I don't think – I think the only person on this roster that's going to finish his career a warrior is going to be Steph. Um, so it's just a question of when and not – if not when, um, I would say Clay moves on from this team. Um, but two more years in the books. Um, I just think that it's more probable because their hand is a little bit being forced. I don't think they're going to re-sign Wiggins to like a max deal. But if you can trade him with one year left um, at like, I mean, it's crazy to say that he's what, like 26? Something like, like that. Like, yeah. like yeah. it's crazy to say that because he's still pretty young. But right. yeah, I, I think that's the more viable option. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they're, they're going to be in a situation where they haven't hesitated to make big moves. Um, I do think that acquiring him was a relatively big move in terms of if the salaries being acquired. They brought in KD. Um, I don't think that organization it has any, any true sacred cows besides Steph. Um, and Steph mm -hmm. is kind of what the engine is whole built on. So um, nothing would surprise me in terms of them making radical adjustments to their roster, but they're facing a tricky situation. Like I alluded to earlier where uh, Poole is trying to get his value up or make his stature and presence known in the league while clay is simultaneously trying to <clears throat> hold on for dear life as the number two guy on the team. Yeah. And so if there's a logical awesome. breakup, it's one of those three guys. I mean, gotcha. Wiggins Thompson, um, I don't know what Jordan Poole's trade value is, but I don't think there would be any short list of suitors for a, I mean, this is just, this is a hypothetical. We're getting pretty far down the road of, you know, we're in, we're about to enter game two and we're talking about that blow, 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 blowing up the roster, blowing it up. but blowing like, up the roster, right? like what, what out there could they get if Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson were traded in a package? Like, can you get another top 15 player for that? Um, it just, it just kind of depends. I don't think that you, that you get rid of both of those guys, if anything goes wrong, but, and again, this is all hypothetical stuff. Uh, right. But I, I do think that there is uh, I think you got to figure something out with clay, right? I think that there has to be, whether you win a championship or not, I think you got to figure something out with clay, um, whether or not you're going to stick with him. Um, I know he has a huge cap hit, but you know, the, the Jordan, he and Jordan Poole on the floor, um, all the way back around to our, you know, to your original point, those two on the floor together, uh, they're trying. Um, and if they're successful, all is forgotten, but if they're not, and I think if they're not, I think you really got to take a look at those two being on the floor at the same time or on the same roster, because, um, at this point, in my opinion, uh, Jordan is better. Now he hasn't played, you know, in this first game, he didn't play, he didn't play well. Um, but I think he's just a better basketball player going forward um, due to the fact that he's, more, you know, he's youthful. Uh, he's a little bit more shifty. Uh, he's a little bit more of a natural ball handler. Um, 
and Clay at this point is uh, he's had a couple good games, but he's had some struggles this year coming back from this injury um, and sitting out for basically two seasons. Uh, it's tough, man. It's tough to get back. And then, you know, this is basketball is young man's game. So right. um, hopefully they get it figured out. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. And I, you know, I, I don't realistically think that they would move two of those guys in a package. I was just exploring right. like a hypothetical of what the value right. would bring, because um, a lot of people have speculated that they have to make a trade. And mm-hmm. while I think they will just because Wiggins is only on a one year deal after this year. But mm-hmm. if they if they if they just see Wiggins as a guy <clears throat> that they can find a replacement for, they already have Kaminga on the roster um, on a rookie deal. They could just let him walk, and then that thirty or so million that he was making that coincides perfectly right when Jordan Poole would need to be paid. And so, yeah. if yeah. they if they if the franchise knows what Jordan Poole is better than we do, and like I agree, I mean. <clears throat> If Steph isn't going to play forever, Clay's not. Draymond definitely isn't. And they got Kaminga, Moody, Poole as three of the best, I don't know, 40, 50 players in the league under the age of 23, something like that. Right, 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 Um, right, right. And and we don't know what's going to happen with Wiseman, but number two overall pick. And they're in a position to, as much as I think their fans would probably love them going all in on on Steph's career I think they've made some pretty clear moves that they're going to try and keep this run as one of the contending teams going long term more than you know pushing their chips in early because there was a lot of speculation that they would have moved um, at least one of those first round picks the Moody or the Kaminga or even the Wiseman um, to to increase this championship window in the short term and they didn't right. do that. So while they still could, I mean, you know, you lose a finals that you were favored to win. Maybe they have a rethought process on that. But based on the track record of what they've done, I think they're just kind of making smart moves to go forward. And I've mentioned this before, I believe in one of the articles I wrote on the run, that they're in a position now where because they're willing to pay the luxury tax, they can get assets to help other teams out essentially financially. So Mm -hmm. take team X that has a B level player that they're paying for two years at 30 million. And they don't think he's worth that. Well, they can move salaries to acquire that player and the warriors would get compensated with, you know, draft capital. And that's what they've done before. And going forward, I just think they're in a really good spot because as much as the NBA does its best to, create parity um, when you have one team or only a small handful of teams that are willing to pay this level of luxury tax where they're paying extra hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, right. the competitive balance kind of gets out of whack. And we've already oh. seen in this league where some, only so many teams, <clears throat> excuse me, only so many teams have won the championship. Um, only so many teams are really a quote unquote free agent destination. And it might, might eventually become a bigger problem than I think they had imagined with the luxury tax penalty, not being a huge deterrent to teams making these types of moves. Okay. Well, I appreciate you. And I appreciate you on that, man. Uh, you got, like I said before, even off camera, man, you're great with uh, all of this cap stuff and uh, you got a great feel for that. I always have had a great feel and you do a lot of research. So I uh, want to make sure that got your thoughts on that. Yeah, appreciate it. Well, um, we're going to wind down here. Any closing thoughts before? So it's it's about 12 o'clock central time right now on Saturday afternoon. The game will be Sunday night. Uh, anything, anything that you're expecting to see or what when the game starts the first, you know, minute or first quarter or two, like what, what are you looking for in terms of changes either by the coaching um or just things to be played differently what 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 as a former player what what are you looking at that will stand out to you um well i think that the biggest thing is just the whether or not um golden state is going to play with confidence are they gonna are they gonna you know now that they've been punched in the face are they willing to punch back and um you know they've shown that in in 
in years past um, uh, where they were down 3-1 and actually came back and won that series, right? If I'm not mistaken against, I think that was Oklahoma City. Uh, but then they turned around and lost the championship series after being up 3-1. So I think that there's some, um, I think there's a level of parity um, in, in this particular series that can, that I think will show, I hope will show, um, that you know either team can get hot and, and compete, but I'm I'm definitely anxious to see um, how Golden State um, bounces back. Are they are they going to come back and and be? Uh, and I'm going to just speak uh, honestly and frankly. You know, are they going to be soft? Right? Are they because we know because we know that Boston's going to play hard, tough, right? So are they going to match the energy, or are they going to you know? Um, are they just going to come out and, and try to play a sexier brand of basketball, shoot a bunch of threes, and, you know, see what happens? Cool, cool. Well, we'll keep an eye out for those things. Thanks again for watching, everybody. Uh, I also want to mention thanks for all the feedback that we got on the first episode. Um, again, any, any thoughts about what we're doing here or the runsports.com? definitely a lot of stuff to check out up there we've been pretty active there if there's any criticisms most of you guys know how to reach us um and then yeah we'll catch you guys next time you can close it out ram for us well thanks again to what patrick just said thanks so much for all the support thanks so much to all of the people who have pushed us to do this um thanks to all those who uh visit the run sports um um really trying to create a place that's pure for basketball. So uh, continue to support, uh, continue to criticize, let us know. Uh, we'll, we always are looking for constructive criticism, but we also want to make an enjoyable space. So uh, thanks so much for all that have, all those who have helped us.